for us to uh, get to see you guys, visit with y'all. I uh, hope this morning's study was helpful, and I hope this afternoon's will be as well. You can see on the screen, uh, we are going to be talking about the door this afternoon. And uh, I'll explain what I mean by that as we go through. But I actually want to take you back and ask you to use your imagination with me a little bit this afternoon. And I want you to imagine that you are a simple farmer that lived about 4,500 years ago or so. This would have been about 2,500 years before Jesus Christ came. And in your day and time, it wasn't like this. In your day, everybody kind of lived um, together in, in a similar area, a uh, much smaller world population, obviously. Um, but you lived in an area known as Mesopotamia, and it was a great place to live. Uh, there were rivers and uh, mountains and fields of grass and places to grow crops and to, to have your herds of livestock and such. It was a great place to raise your family. And so I want to, you to imagine that you're, you're there and you're living in this time frame. And you've got a wife, you've got a couple of small children, and you enjoy life. Um, you eat and drink, you uh, get around the campfire at night with your neighbors and you tell stories. Um, and it's a great time to be alive, it's a great time to live, a wonderful place to raise your family. Now, that being said, you have heard the stories from the old timers when you've sat around the fire with them, and they talked about how in the days before, uh, generations before, that man actually walked with God, right? And that Adam and Eve were in that Garden of Eden with God. And they described to you how that over time, that man had, had separated from God, much like Cain had decided to rebel against God and not offer the sacrifice that God desired and then ultimately kill his brother Abel, so mankind as a whole had sort of outgrown God over the generations. And there were a few old-timers that you sat and listened to that were worried that there may be problems or consequences that might come of that decline, but you dismissed it because the majority of people in your day recognized that man had sort of outgrown God and God wasn't needed. And so y'all lived and you enjoyed life and you got together and you, uh, you had a good time in your life. Now the negatives to this was... Uh, there was a lot of violence that, that might break out. There was, uh, there was a thievery, theft. There were just crimes that could take place. You had to kind of be on guard and watch your back, make sure that you're, you're watching your family because everybody kind of did what they wanted to do in this time period, kind of did whatever was right in their own eyes. But as long as you were watching your back and you're paying attention and, and you kind of had your people, then it was, a, it was a great time to be alive. Most of all because nobody judged you. You could pretty much do whatever you wanted to do, and that was very appealing, right? You wanted to be anything you wanted to be, you could do it. You wanted anything that would bring you pleasure, entertainment, it was yours to be had. There were, no, there were no laws, there were no restrictions. You could basically do whatever you wanted to do, and as long as you were the stronger of the two, if you got into a fight with somebody and overcame, overcame the person you're fighting with, you're the victor, to the victor go the spoils. And it was just kind of a, 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 a very different world from what you and I in real life imagine today. And so this is the life and the lifestyle that you, that you are living. And you're, you're happy with where things are at, that you don't need God, that things have gotten past the point where God is needed. Now, you do have a neighbor. And this neighbor is kind of the one uh, sore spot in an otherwise great life where you get to do whatever you want to do. And that neighbor is, is a preacher and claims to have received word and this neighbor of yours, he's so crazy that he's decided to build a giant boat because he said that God told him it was going to rain. Now, in the world that you live in, you've never seen rain. Rain has never fallen from the sky. And so, first of all, the thought that water's just going to fall from the sky is a foreign thought. But second of all, that this man's going to spend 100 years building a giant boat for a flood that's going to come supposedly 
because God is unhappy with mankind for the way that mankind is now living in rebellion to Him. And you dismiss Him, and you joke about Him with your friends, and you, you sneer, and you laugh, and you make fun of this old guy. But you were curious enough that a couple of times you went down with some of your, some of your buddies, and you heard the man speak, and you listened as he talked about the fact that man had become evil and corrupt and that God wasn't happy with man and that he was going to send a flood to destroy mankind. And both of those times that you were there, this, this old preacher, he said, I'm building this boat as God has told me. And he invited the entire crowd to stay and help him. He invited the entire crowd to get on that boat with him. And as a crowd, you laughed at the ridiculousness of it all. Really, there's going to be a giant flood that comes and destroys the world. It's never even, a drop of water hadn't come from the sky, and yet this is going to happen. This old guy just needs to get with the times. He just needs to recognize that we don't need God. That's not the kind of people that we want to be. And so you dismiss him, you go back home. But then something happened yesterday that did catch your attention. In fact, you were told by a couple of your neighbors that had gone down to see the progress this man was making on his boat. And they said, his boat's done. It had been a hundred years he'd been working on it. And not only is his boat done, but an amazing amount of creatures, of animals, have shown up in this location. And they seem to be controlled in such a way that they're not hurting the preacher. You know, they figured he'd get stampled by a stampede or something, but he seems to be, to be fine and somehow controlling these animals. In fact, they have seen him loading these animals onto this boat. And this piques your interest. And so you go down there, and you, you're his neighbor. You're the closest person to him. It doesn't take you long. You go down there, and you kind of peek down into the valley where he's built this boat. And sure enough, you see all sorts of animals gathered around this boat. And you see that preacher, and he's, he's directing these animals in, and they're loading up. And you think, man, I mean, that is kind of strange, right? People don't generally have the ability to control animals in that way. But you go back home, you dismiss it. He's crazy. He's going to get himself killed. He's putting all of those wild animals on this boat. He's going to get on there with him. They're going to maul him to death. He's going to die. He's crazy. So you go back home. You keep to your farming. You keep doing what it is that you're doing. But then as you're bent down in your garden and you're tending to your crops, something happens. You feel a drop. And you look up. And suddenly you see drops of water falling from the sky. And it's a new sensation for you. Now, you've walked under the waterfall before and you've felt water pour on your face before. But, but this is different because water is starting to pour from everywhere in the sky. And you're feeling these drips and you lift out your hands and you look at them and you see the water begin to pelt onto you and you look back at your house and you see your wife come out and she too is looking up and, and your kids in amazement and wonder and at first it's just kind of a, a cool new experience. But then it starts coming down harder and the wind starts whipping up and the rain starts coming in almost sideways and it's hitting you and it, it starts to sting on your skin. And so you start to, your first thought is, I've got to get inside. I don't know what's going on, but we've got to find some shelter. And so you look to your wife, you say, we've got to get inside. And you start heading that way. And then to your right, you hear, boom. And you feel the earth quake beneath you. And you look and you see a geyser of water shoot out from the, from the floor, from the ground. And it goes 100 feet into the air. And it's spraying and then that water is pouring down. And you, you're stunned and then, boom, another one to your left. And you look and the same thing happens. And then off into the distance over there and behind you. And suddenly the entire earth, it seems to be breaking apart. And water is, is pouring from beneath the earth and from on top. And you've got water everywhere. And as you start to run towards your wife and your house, suddenly it clicks in your mind. This is what that crazy old man was talking about. He said there was a flood that was coming. 
And we laughed and jeered at him. We said he was crazy. We said he needed to get with the times. We said that mankind had outgrown God, didn't need God. But all of a sudden, it all started making sense in your mind. Mankind had rebelled against God. See, you remembered the stories about man walking with God. You're only about ten generations removed from Adam at this point. And it had been a pretty swift decline. And so you decided something then and there. You decided the only thing you could do to try to save your family was to gather them up and go to that boat. And so you pick up your two small children and you grab your wife by the hand and you start slodging your way through the now mud, thickening mud and rising water. And you're his neighbor, so you're the closest one to him and you think if anyone's got a shot to get there, I've got the shot. And if this really is a flood, if this really is going to destroy us, I can make it to that boat. And so you're running as fast as you can through that mud. And you know the way, even though it's dark and there's rain and you can't see, you know how to get there. And so you're pulling your wife. Your kids are screaming and crying. They're terrified. But if you can just get there, you know there can be safety on that boat. And you reach the point where you can, you can see down into that valley and the boat's still there. Now there's water. There's a lot of water that's rising through. And you're going to actually have to swim part of the way to get to that boat. But the ramp that he had used to load those animals onto the ark, it's still there. And you know where that door was. And so you pull your wife and your children and you run and you swim the rest of the way through that with one of your children on your back, the other one beside you. And y'all are half swimming, half climbing through the rock and the rubble that's now swirling around in the floodwaters. And you make it to that ramp on the side of the boat. And you climb up and you get up out of that water and you're on the ramp and you make it up to where you know that door is. And you start knocking. And you start knocking and you say, please let us in. We're here. We made it. And the wind keeps whipping up and the rain keeps coming down and the waters are rising. And you see, you look back, you see a few of your neighbors and they too have realized what's happening and they're making their way there. And you bang on that door. You say, please let us in. We're here. We need help. And your neighbors make it to that ramp and they climb up behind you. Now there's ten of you. And you're pounding on that door. You're saying, please let us in. We're here. And you get the idea, maybe we can pry the door open. But you begin to feel for the cracks of the door and it's as if something has sealed it. And the door's not there. It's as if it's been sealed shut and there's no way in. So you bang and you plead while that wind keeps whipping up and that rain keeps coming down and the floodwaters keep swirling beneath you. But the door doesn't open. Instead, that ramp that you're standing on begins to sway and shift. You see that mud and that floodwater that's been rising and whipping around is now breaking the beams that are holding that ramp up. And so as it comes crashing down, it throws you and the rest of your neighbors and your family back into that flood water. And you go under the water and you're trying to catch your breath. You get up, you find your children and you see a rock. A little bit of a hill with some rocks on top that's still sticking up out of that water. And you think, I've got to make it to safety somehow. I've got to get to high ground. And so you swim the distance over there. You and you see some of your neighbors doing the same thing. And you climb up onto those rocks and you get up out of that water and you get on top of those rocks and you yell and you scream and you wave at that boat hoping maybe that preacher will see you. Maybe there's still a way that he can open that door and can bring you on board. But instead you hear a groan and you see that boat start to shift and you hear it as that water and see it as that water begins to carry that boat and move it forward. And suddenly those floodwaters have lifted that ark up And it's now floating away. And you're there left on that rock, just watching as your safety floats away. And you see neighbors that are struggling in that water succumb to the flood and die. 
And you're holding on to your wife and children on top of that rock. And as the waters keep rising up and you can feel it on your feet now and you can feel it getting faster and faster, you're grabbing onto the rock and you're trying to hold on so that it doesn't take you with it. You look at your wife and your children and you say, I'm sorry. I should have listened. I should have believed him. He wasn't crazy. He was right. And then you lose your grip on your children. And you lose them into the water. And then your wife goes too. And you're holding on with everything that you have, but there's nothing you can do. And you let go, and the floodwaters take you into darkness. Because the reality is, when they showed up at that boat, the door was shut. And it was too late. This is a true story, I want you to know. Maybe not in all the detail that I presented, but in its essence, it's true. This story of Noah's Ark and the flood happened. And there were people in that day that Noah preached to, that Noah tried to save, that ignored him. And they fell to the floodwaters and weren't able to escape in the safety that Noah and his family had because they didn't believe him. And I believe this is a cautionary tale for you and I. And so this afternoon, I want to encourage you to do differently than the people of Noah's day. I want to encourage you to listen to what God is going to do and make the decisions necessary to save yourself and your family before it's too late. You see, we too have been warned of an impending destruction. Just as God through Noah told those people in that day that he was going to send a flood to destroy the world, so he has told us through his word that there is coming a day where this world will be destroyed again. Not by a flood, but this time by fire. That everything physical that exists will one day burn up and be gone. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also in the works that are therein shall be burned up. And this is a promise that God has made to you and I, to all mankind, that this time that we have here is limited. There is an end date where He is going to send fire that destroys everything. And at that point, the only thing that will matter is if you are in Christ or not. The only thing that will matter is if you are on the boat. Noah and his family were on the boat when the time came and they were saved from the floodwaters. And all of those others who ignored him, who laughed at him, who joked about it, who jeered, who said he's just crazy, he needs to get with the times, we don't need God, we like our life, we like being able to do whatever we want to do. All of those people died and perished. And they did not have the safety that God had promised to those that would get on the boat. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Peter tells us that it is the same word that promised the destruction of the flood that has promised the destruction of fire. The same God that fulfilled His promise to destroy the world will fulfill His promise again and destroy everything. What you and I need to ask ourselves is if we will make a better choice than the people did in Noah's day. You see, we too have rejected God with our sin. We are no different than them. 
they may have gotten to the point where God looked at the world and every imagination of the thought of his heart was evil continually. Maybe we're not at that point yet. But in many ways, we are just like those people. We are given a good thing, wonderful blessings by God, and yet time and time again, we tend to turn to our own devices, to our own pleasures, to our own sin. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. I want you to know this afternoon that your sin and my sin have caused us to be separated from God. Just as Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, they took of the fruit that God had told them not to, and when they did that, they were cast out of the garden, separated from God, and subject to both physical and spiritual death from that point on. So we too, in our own choice to individually sin, have put our iniquities between us and God. And we can't restore our relationship with God on our own. There's nothing that I can do that's good enough in this life that I can make it to heaven without Christ. I'm not good enough, and neither are you. None of us are. Our sin have come between us and God, and we need a bridge. We need someone to help to save us from this condition that we are in. I want you to read 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4 with me and think about both the time that Noah lived in as well as the time that we live in today. And it's very similar. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Perhaps we could put on a, on a scale of how bad these traits were in the days of Noah versus how bad they are in the United States today. But regardless, I can look at this list of traits and I can look at our society, our culture today and see these things ingrained. Many, many of these things ingrained in our culture and our society. We live in a world today and in a country today where it seems like right is being portrayed as wrong and wrong is being portrayed as right. Everything is upside down. Wrongness and sin are being celebrated. And yet what God has asked us to do is not to rebel against Him, not to live for ourselves, but to live for Him. And if we'll do that, He's promised us salvation from the coming fire that He says will destroy this world. Now, what we can do is we can laugh at the preachers that get up here and teach that. We can laugh when we hear the Scriptures read that talks about the fire that's coming or the life that we should live in. We can jeer and, and talk about these, these old-timers as just needing to get with the times. The reality is, if we make the same mistake that these people in the days of Noah made, we're going to find ourselves facing the same consequences that they did. And just as we have chosen to rebel and reject, against, reject God with our sin, I want you to know that, that sin will have not only physical consequences here, but eternal consequences. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, "...for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ." that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know, when those people, if they did truly try to get onto that boat in the days of Noah, as that flood began to come down, they would have realized that they should have listened before, that they were too late, that they showed up to the door and the door had already been shut. But if they had gotten onto that boat while it was open, they could have had that safety and that salvation. And the same thing is true for you and I today. When we make it to eternity, when we stand before Jesus Christ on that day of judgment and He is our judge looking at the decisions that we made while we were here, if we wait until that moment to bow our knee before Him, it will be too late. 
The scriptures tell us that all of, our, all of us will bow our knees before him. But if we'll choose instead to bow our knee while we're alive here, then he'll give us the peace and safety when we get there. But if we wait and we don't accept Christ now and we don't live for him now and instead we choose the YOLO existence, you only live once, let's live it up while we're here. That's a dangerous proposition, knowing what God has promised will come. And just as he sent that flood, he will send that fire to destroy this world. Revelation 21 verse 7 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I want you to know this is not a popular message to teach today. Many people don't want to hear about the reality of hell. They don't want to hear about consequences of sin. They don't want to hear that any of that exists. And even when they turn on the TV to listen to a a preacher that's preaching on TV, what they want to hear is all love and all fluff. And God is a God of love. And you know how I know He's a God of love? Because He has provided a way for us to escape the destruction that's coming. But what we do sometimes and too often is we want to place our own beliefs or our own preferences on God. And say, I want God to fit inside the box that I've created. And I've decided how I want to live and what I want to believe, and I'm going to fit God into that. And instead, what we ought to be doing is listening to what God actually says and saying, let me mold my life to what He wants and what He says is going to happen. Because I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, this afternoon that it doesn't matter if you don't like to hear about the realities of hell. It doesn't matter if you want to choose to believe in your your own mind that hell doesn't exist. It does not change the truth of the fact that the Scripture says it does. That God says it does. That God says there's coming a day when all this is going to be destroyed and you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we're going to be judged based upon what we've done here. And so what I want to encourage you to do today is to think about what you're doing here. How are you living here? What is your life about here? Have you stepped inside the boat of safety that God has provided? I want you to know that God has extended salvation to us just as he did to the people in Noah's day. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. This is not an exclusive gift. This gift of salvation that God has given to mankind is freely available for everyone from every place, rich or poor, young or old. It does not matter our background. God has offered salvation freely to us. John 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the God of love and the God of mercy that I serve. Is the God that looked down at a creation that had rebelled against him, looked down at a creation that was full of sinfulness and selfishness, and decided in spite of all that to make a way to allow us to be saved even when we don't deserve it, because none of us do. And it is wrong of us as human beings to look at this and say, well, God could have just chosen to save us all. Why does does anyone have to be lost? God could have done it any way that He wanted to. He could just save us all if He wanted to. The reality is God is God. God can do what God chooses to do, He has the ability to design things however He wants to design it. And He has given us free will. And as a result of that choice to give us free will, we messed up our own perfect situation. In Genesis chapter 3, we lived in a garden of Eden in the presence of God, walking daily with Him. 
with nothing to worry about, no fear, no death, no tears, no sorrow, and yet we as a human race messed it up. He gave us free will, and I'm thankful we have the free will to choose, but we stink sometimes at making choices. And we did then and we do now. And we make bad ones too often. And when we make bad ones, we end up rebelling against God and sinning against Him. And He's perfect and He's righteous. And so He can't walk daily in the presence of sin and selfishness and rebellion. And so what He decided to do was to send His Son Jesus to be a sacrifice for our sins. You see, Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life because you and I can't. And then He offered Himself on that cross to make up for our sins. In fact, He took the punishment that we should be bearing in eternity for our own sins upon Himself. And this is the plan that God put in place to allow you and I to be saved from the impending eternal destruction that awaits. But again, God has chosen to give us free will. And He's asking us to make a better choice the second time around. He's asking us not to be selfish and sinful anymore. He's asking us to accept His gift of Jesus and the salvation that comes with Him. And it's up to you and I to do that. You see, Jesus is the door. On that boat, on that ark, when those people were seeing those floods come and potentially running and trying to get on that boat, realizing that it was too late, that door was shut. But when Jesus came, when God sent Him down, Jesus taught in John 10 verse 9, I am the door. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said, I am the door, the way to get to God. Every single one of us here knows what a door is and understands its purpose. It allows you to exit one place and enter into another. And Jesus being that door allows us to exit from this life of sin and the consequences we'll face from it and enter into a life surrounded and shrouded by the righteousness and perfection of Christ. A life that doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it means that He is. And in accepting Him and living for Him, we are able to take His righteousness upon ourselves. Jesus said, I am the door. In John 14 and 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And I want you to know this afternoon that there's many philosophies out there. There's a lot of different types of religions out there. There have been a lot of people that have professed to be prophets of God over time. But Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No other prophet, no other religion, no other philosophy has the backing not only of Scripture, but of eyewitness testimony and of archaeological evidences and scientific evidences and all the things that are fascinating to look at and study. No other person, no other religion, none of it has that backing. But at the end of the day, even if all of that doesn't convince you, what should convince you is the fact that you know within yourself, you know within yourself that you have not always made the right choices. And if you know within yourself that you have chosen wrong, you must ask, what standard is it that is in you that says that that's wrong? Why is there a conscience within us? Why is there a right and a wrong? Why is it that we know deep down when we've made a mistake and done something wrong? Why is it that we look out and we see the amazing creation and all of the things around us and we know deep down this couldn't have all happened by chance? 
There has to be something more. And these are the things that have plagued man from the beginning of man's history. Any time that man has rebelled against God and fallen from Him, that yearning for knowledge, for restoration, for being back in God's good graces has been there. God knows that. He knows that deep down we have sinned and we are not right. But that if He presents a way that some of us will choose to accept it out of our free will. And so He sent Jesus and Jesus is the only way that you can have that salvation that's offered. And I want you to know how the Scripture teaches that we can enter into Jesus as that door. You know, we could go through the steps of salvation or the process of salvation, but the reality is we all recognize if Jesus is going to save us, we have to be willing to believe in Him. John 3, verse 16 that we read made a clear distinction that Jesus came for those who believed and that those who believed would not be condemned. The implication there is clearly that those who choose not to believe will be. And we have to understand that God didn't send Jesus to automatically save everyone. He sent Jesus to provide a way. And that way has been given. And that way starts with believing that that's true. That God did send Jesus. That He is the Son of God and He is the Savior of the world. And if you believe that, then He also wants you to be willing to say that to others. To confess that. To boldly proclaim your belief. But he also wants you to change. We've talked about this life of sin and selfishness that we've lived with. He wants us to stop that. To start living for him. And though we will make mistakes as Christians, we all do. That we don't accept the mistake and say, oh well, that's who I am. As a Christian we say, I need to do better. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep trying every day to be better. To be more like Christ. And if we believe in Jesus and we're willing to confess that and we're willing to stop living for ourselves but to start living for Christ, then we're ready. We're ready to submit to Him. We're ready to submit to obedience to the gospel, to obey the plan that God has outlined. And that includes this idea of baptism. And I want you to know that baptism is where the Scriptures say that we enter that door into salvation. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. God designed an amazing plan, an amazing way to allow us to be cleansed from our sin. You see, just as Jesus hung on that cross and He died there and then His body was buried in that tomb and then it it rose from the grave by the power of God three days later. So God will take our sinful life and He'll destroy it, burying us in that water. And then as we come up out of that water, He'll give us new life that's clean, that's white as snow, that's new, that's fresh. It's not riddled with the sin of our past, but instead is covered by the righteousness of Christ. In that moment, we're allowed to spiritually participate in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Gaining access to His sacrifice and to His blood. There's nothing special about the water. There's nothing nothing special about bending down or being lifted up. What's special is what happens when we submit ourselves to God's working to allow Him to cleanse us and to save us. Baptism is that point where God's grace in sending His Son Jesus meets our faith and our obedience and all of it comes together and allows God as that surgeon to operate on us as we lay there on that table before Him.
This is what the scripture teaches. That ark of safety was there for the people. They were invited in. Our ark of safety today is Jesus. When this world burns and all of it is destroyed, those that remain, that live for eternity, will be those that are in Jesus Christ. Will be those that have walked through that door of salvation. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and if ye be Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What promise? When we're baptized into Christ and we put on His righteousness, we become heirs of the promise of heaven and of eternal life that's been given through Jesus Christ. You see, God, way back in Genesis chapter 3, when human beings messed their own situation up, all the way back then, God prophesied about His plan to bring redemption to us. And this is how He has chosen to lay it out. Lay it out. And I want to encourage you once again, as you think about your relationship with God, or you think about what you've been taught regarding salvation, you think about the many doctrines of salvation that are out there in the world, many people that, that say prayers, believing those prayers will save them, I want you to consider one thing. And it is, again, to not put our human preferences or our human ideas upon God and try to fit God into the box of salvation that we want Him to fit into and say, well, surely that's good enough. Surely God will save me anyway. Surely... But instead of saying surely and trying to fit God in our box, let's listen to what the Scriptures say. And let's yield ourselves to Him. Let's submit our actions to what He has asked of us. I want to encourage you this afternoon to heed the warning of God. He has warned you as clearly as Noah has warned those people in that day. He has warned you not only this afternoon... But every time you read through the Scriptures, every time you're here around your, uh, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, every time you're in a Bible study and you're reading through His Word, as you read the Word of God, you are being warned. You are being asked to take action. You are being told what's coming. You are being a, given a glimpse of the future, which is not something that very many people get to participate in. In reality, we all think it would be great to be able to see the future. God is giving us a glimpse of what's coming. And he shared that with all of mankind. It's a message that needs to be spread to everyone, everywhere, that there is a day coming where destruction will take place. First Thessalonians 5, 2 and 3 says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman or child, and they shall not escape. There will come a day when that destruction comes that no one will be expecting it. You know Why? Because they will have the same attitude that the people had in the days of Noah. The attitude that those religious people that are, that are talking about, they're crazy. The Bible, you believe in the Bible, you follow the Bible, that's so 500 years ago. We're in 2021 now. Let's live the life that we want to live. Let's be who we want to be, right? Isn't that what our society and our culture says we can be? So let's do that. Let's go all in on that life. The problem with that is when we least expect it, it's coming. And Jesus is going to return. And when He returns, those that are in Christ will both rise from the grave and those that are alive will meet them in the air to go on and be with Him in heaven forever. But those that are not in Christ will not be so lucky. And eternal destruction is waiting. Jesus described... 
the people in Noah's day this way, in Matthew 24, 37. It says, For as were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered into the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus said those people in the days of Noah, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage. You know what they were doing? They were just living life. They were just walking through life, being comfortable, living for this world. And that's exactly, unfortunately, what we see so many people today choosing to do. And I want to encourage you not to be one of them. Don't just eat and drink and marry and be given in marriage. Don't just live life unaware that tomorrow or tonight or next week or a year from now or 20 years from now, Jesus might come or we might pass from this life and it will be too late. I want you to know this afternoon, right now, the door is open. Jesus is inviting you in. Just as I feel confident knowing that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, that he begged and pleaded as many people as he could to get on that boat with him, when that door was open, Jesus is begging and pleading for us to get on board, for us to walk through the door he's offering, for us to accept the salvation in Christ. And that door right now today is open to you and to me and anyone that will choose to walk through it. But there's coming a day when that door is going to close. And when it does, we might try to bang on it, we might try to yell and scream, we might try to get a second chance, but there will not be a second chance. And just as that flood came and swept them all away, eternity's going to come. And if we're not in Christ today, when that day comes, we're going to spend the rest of eternity regretting it. And so I want to leave you this afternoon with an encouragement to please, if you're not in Christ this afternoon, walk through the open door while it's open. Accept Him today. Live for Him. Grab hold of that salvation that's being offered to you. And don't let it go. Live your life for Him. And you'll never regret it. Not here and not in eternity. If you're here this afternoon and we can help you, if we can help you by allowing Jesus to add you to His church through baptism, or if we can help you by praying for you in a need that you have, we'd ask that you come sit in a front pew as we sing.